I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, welcome back to another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. Uh, this is Brian, and I am here by the Owl Pellet with Becky and Mike uh, with another fantastic conversation with one of our excellent agricultural education researchers in the country, and we're going to talk about if effective instruction and student engagement that is not infective, that is effective. I've, there's a very big difference between being infected and being effective in here. So uh, welcome back to, po- to, uh, to the podcast, Trey. Thank you. What an introduction. I hope I can be effective, effective in this introduction and not infective. Okay. Of all the introductions you've had, that is absolutely that the, most the most recent. recent. Yeah. <laughs> there's a prescription for that. All right, we're off to a roaring start. Yes, yes, we are. It's called on brand. Uh, Trey, (laughs) tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm an assistant professor at the University of Florida, uh, and I work as the teacher ed coordinator here. So my primary job is to teach folks how to be beginning um, high school, middle school agriculture teachers. I also uh, work to support new agriculture teachers through my extension program and do a little bit of research related to how teachers interact with curricular resources. Excellent. So why don't you give us kind of an overview of what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. So we are going to be talking about Casey Gilbert's uh, master's thesis work related to Rosenshine and First Characteristics of Effective Instruction. So We'll start there, I guess, with characteristics of effective instruction. So what does it take to be a good teacher? What does a good teacher look like? It looks like Becky Haddad. Uh-huh. Aw, thanks. Absolutely. And Even how, does skeptical. She, how does she embody those traits and what are those characteristics? He doesn't actually know. I, He's never seen me teach. <laughs> <laughs> So when we think about, I mean, go, go back and think through elementary through high school, who was the best teacher that you had and what sort of characteristics did they have? There was a plan. You knew what you're going to do. And okay. there was a plan. They knew what they wanted to do. Becky, Mike, who's your favorite teacher? What were they like? Brian's my favorite teacher. <laughs> He's a good one. <laughs> the The teacher that instantly came to mind was somebody who kind of had a reputation of being tough, um, mm-hmm. but but they were very fair. And I think some of some of just the reputation it was it was third grade, so there was just kind of some like, oh, we always got it. Like we always got to be ready. We always got to be ready. Like something's coming. But she was just really good at um, about about the third grade level, maybe like, I don't remember it ever being easy, but I don't yeah. remember it being so hard that I was like, I, I can't do third grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going to stretch you a bit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. 
And that that enthusiasm, I think the excitement for the topic or um, you know, wanting to, in, they want to be engaged in the material as much as they want you to be engaged in the material. Yeah, absolutely. They, they care about what they're doing. Um, they have that good level of difficulty. Absolutely. So I, I think let's keep those things in mind and those characteristics of who we think is a good teacher as we go through this discussion. Um, so Rosenscheiden first in 1971 came up with their characteristics of effective instruction. And they did this by doing a meta-analysis of a bunch of different papers um, within this. And so they looked at what is these, what is the impact of a teacher um, and how did that make a difference on student learning? And they only had things that that made a difference with student learning. And what they came up with is a list of these characteristics. So they came up with seven. There's five that had a really strong effect size they found. And so we focused on those five. Um, and so what Casey wanted to do with his, we talked about this and, and did this in class and um, use this in our teaching methods to evaluate students. And um, so he's seen that, saw these characteristics of effective instruction, and he wanted to know what does this look like in school-based agricultural education? And so he set out to do that and uh, was going to do that through qualitative observation. So he was going to go out and observe uh, different agriculture teachers who have been identified as being effective agriculture teachers. Uh, and then he was going to have some conversations with the teachers uh, as well um, based on what they did and what he saw them teach. And then some conversations with their students. Uh, as well. And so this was in 2021 when this study was happening. So schools were just opening back up uh, and he was planning on going to about five schools and about four of those schools said, you can't come in here with your, with your diseases. Um, <laughs> with, with, with your breathing. Infections. <laughs> yes. With your uh, I mean, we remember the world was a different place in, in 2021. So yeah. Um, credit to Casey and credit to the school that did let him in. Um, he ended up making two or three trips to that school to, to collect data and making it a more robust data collection uh, within that school. And so what we have is a case study of one school with two teachers and several of their students to talk about what are those characteristics of effective instruction. And so tell us a little bit about uh, what what happened. You know, first of all, I, what I appreciate about the study is that they kind of tr had the opportunity to kind of triangulate. So you weren't only asking questions or having them fill out a survey, but you were really talking to the teachers, you were talking to students, and, and really getting a, a variety of perspectives to kind of triangulate that. And so what tell us a little bit about the stories and what was kind of learned from that. Yeah, so I, I think that would help just maybe to go line by line and talk about each characteristic um, and and what that looked like and and maybe some we can brainstorm some ideas of some things that we can do to help teachers um, implement those. And so the first one um, that we talked about was the use of clarity and student engagement. And so what he found with that is the students said that their teachers are really good at explaining things in a lot of different ways. And so they're, when they explain things, they um, use two or different, two or three different things. They've got stories that they used um, to, to explain 
things more clearly. Um, and then the teachers had some examples of when they give instructions, that their instructions are, are absolutely clear. Uh, so we know that clarity, clarity um, is one of the most important things um, that good teachers do. Yeah, I think that it seems so simple to be clear. You're right. Of course mm-hmm. you want to be clear, but the, you know, one of the most unnerving things I've ever had to do in my professional career was watch a recording of myself teach. Oh yeah. You know, and you go back and you watch that and you're like, in the moment, I thought I was being extremely clear with this instruction. Like, absolutely. It's da 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 da. And then I watch it and you're like, what did I just say? What, what just happened there? And so from your own experience and from what Casey saw and everything else, those teachers that were very clear, how do they do that? What were, what were some of the things in, that, that help us understand to, you know, I can't even yeah. my question. How, how do we help them understand <laughs> when they're being clear with their instruction and, and, and actually being received as being clear? Would you be clear? I would try, I'm trying <laughs> and I'm failing. <laughs> yeah. So when, when I think about clarity, I think there's two distinct times when you're teaching that it is important to be clear. And how you are clear in those two distinct times is completely different, right? So the first one has to do with explaining a new concept to students. And if you're explaining a new concept, clarity looks like showing them, explaining them in different ways, going in detail with different stories, checking for understanding and making sure that that they get that. Well, I guess now that I explain it, it's probably not all that different. But (laughs) we're explaining those new concepts. It's we want to make sure that we're taking time to do those different things and add those different layers to it. Then there's clarity in student direction, right? How do we move students from the classroom to the shop, get their safety glasses and get the tools out that they need for the day? And when we do that, we want to do that quickly. We want to do that efficiently, but there's a different way that, that we can go about and make sure that, that we're doing that. And I think really good teachers, I know really good teachers, um, are able to do both and explain both really well. I think that's, you know, too often, I think when we're working with new teachers or student teachers, they don't understand the importance of clear instructions on even like the daily routines and how that Mm-hmm. really sets the tone for the classroom around clarity and, and honestly makes the teacher think through those small things and build those systems up. So I think that was a great example. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. think one of those challenges too, is we go in with a lot of assumptions and we assume students are at a certain level and we don't, we forget quite often that we need to figure out where those students are at and meet them with where they're at for those clarity purposes. And, and so just, just, assuming and making these those assumptions at times can be um, challenging and, and recreate a lot of confusion for students. But even in that challenge, there's some relief that like, oh, I can just be a little more clear in my instruction or my instructions. Mm-hmm. It's going to help me be a little bit better teacher. Like that's something I can practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there's a definite yeah. skill associated with that. And maybe even some relief in like, Hey, I just need to like slow down and think about what I'm doing. It gives me kind of that pause to say, okay, I don't need to crank this out as fast as I can. Let me slow down and make sure that we're clear on it before I move on. And that 
doesn't have to just be me being clear. It's also, what am I getting back from my students to make sure that I've been clear in that? Yeah. I remember when I was student teaching and I had my, one of my first student teaching observations and shout out Barry Kroom. He said, do you realize it took you nine minutes to get from the classroom to the greenhouse and get the students ready to go into the greenhouse? Now you could throw a rock from the classroom to the greenhouse. It should not have taken nine minutes. And so I thought about how I asked students to get up and move from the classroom and into the greenhouse, how much instructional time I flittered away with having poor instructions and poor clarity with those instructions from getting to the greenhouse or from the classroom to the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. So then, so the next theme, the, the second one was the, the use of variety and student engagement. Yeah, absolutely. So mixing it up. So, one of the students said, and I love this quote, um, Mr. Berry believed um, incorporating a variety of teaching um, teaching techniques. Mr. Berry said he likes to mix things up. He's also been trying to do more videos, most, more social medias, and incorporate technology in different ways. And so it's not about technology for technology's sake, but just trying different things and doing things in, in, in different ways. Um, so making sure that it's not boring. It's not the same thing every day. And this may sound like it flies in the face of Harry Wong and procedure and making sure that everything is ordered. And it's not, there's a variety of ways that we're delivering instruction to our students. And and again, good practice. When we start thinking about varieties of learning styles and how everyone comes to the classroom, um, learning in a different manner, you, you do want to, you want to change it up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the research that we're really getting into about learning styles is starting to kind of fall apart a little bit, but just doing different things. Like I, I can only focus on one task for about 20 minutes before I'm kind of ready to get up and move on to the next thing. Like if somebody's lecturing to me in PowerPoint and and that sort of thing, like I can hang on and listen for about 15 to 20 minutes. And then my brain starts to go somewhere else. And so like, let's spin around and have a group discussion after that 15 minute mark. And then we can go back into lecture if that's what we're doing for the day. And that, that's gonna help us meet our objective. There's nothing wrong with lecture, but let's find some different ways to, to mix it up and, and move it up. I think sometimes we get a little intimidated by variety. We think, oh, I've got to like, I've got to do all these things, like all the things, but just let's do a couple different things. Well, let's change it up because there's the other side of variety, right? Where we've got so much that we're asking <laughs> students to do that they can't, they don't know which way, uh-huh. which way to look at the circus. Well, and it's that idea that, that um, I think even as a veteran teacher, you can fall into this routine. And again, we talk about routines being good, but if you're, if you're doing the same variety every single time, then it's not variety anymore. If your students know that every Monday we do this, every Tuesday we do this, every Thursday we do this, then you've lost the variety. Then you've got to mix it up. And so you don't have to do all the things all the time but you should probably do all the things at least sometime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a, a neat example. Um, I remember this from my teaching. I had one class where they did the, the normal PowerPoint that's projected up and they're taking it down in their notes. And by the end of it, they want to gouge their eyes out with a pencil. 
And then I did the exact same thing with the other class, except I printed out one sheet of paper, each slide and taped them around the room. And they moved around the room to the, each of the stations, rotated and got their notes. And we explained them in the different sections around the room. And they were engaged, they were up, they were moving around, they were um, having good conversations. And it was, it's the same thing. It's lecture, they took notes, they learned the same material, they just did it in a new and interesting way. And I'm sure if you taped things up and did notes that way for 165 days of instruction, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, can we just sit down and listen? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. And and so the next theme was? Enthusiasm. Yay! I love this theme. (laughs) Um, So so this one is, is interesting, right? We know that, and we you talked about this, Mike. You you said that the teacher that you had in mind was enthusiastic, right? And they they loved what they did. But there's two different ways that we can show enthusiasm, right? There's we love our state officers and our FFA folks, and when they stand up on stage, man, they just ooze enthusiasm, and I love it. And it it gets our students super excited about FFA and agricultural education, and that is awesome. Try to do that for 165 days of instruction in a high school classroom, (laughs) and let me know how it goes, right? And so what we found with these teachers, how they showed enthusiasm is they really knew their subject that they taught, and they were excited about it, and they shared that with students, and they had stories to bring in, and, and they were They absolutely loved what they did and the subject that they taught. And so they they were enthusiastic, but they weren't standing up and jumping up and down on the tables uh, and showing that sort of enthusiasm. It was it was they're engaged. They talk about their passion for the industry, um, talking about the stories that they have with their family, um, just how much they know and how much they bring to the table with that. And certainly that's an important piece, and that kind of really starts to uh, blend together with kind of the next theme where you're talking about business-like mm-hmm. approaches and um, and its connection to student engagement. Yeah, absolutely. So, Becky, when you talked about your teacher, there was that task, right? And there were pretty high expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's what Rosenshine at first talked about with this task-oriented and business-like behavior. It's like, all right, we're in class today. It's time to get to work. Let's get rocking and rolling. Now, these teachers kind of had that same expectation. So they, they had expectations for their students, but it wasn't too much. It was in line with what's appropriate for high school agricultural education. And, and I think we have to, to kind of put those um, boundaries and expectations in line. I mean, just like you said, it didn't make you want to give up and hate third grade, but it pushed you. And and I had that attitude of like, all right, we're we're here to work. We're here to learn. I think it provides some security for students. Like as you were talking again, the thought of like, well, but this teacher thinks I can do it, so mm-hmm. I can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. So check this out. This student says, 
he keeps us accountable with it because he has bell ringers on the board every day. We come into class, we're supposed to sit down and keeps us accountable by using that. We have quizzes throughout the year. So when he talked to the students, the students noted the bell ringer as that business-like and task behavior. And so even though your students may come in and say, gosh, we have to do another bell ringer, they actually are seeing that as, as that task-oriented, that business-like, they know that that's when it's time to get class started, and, and that's a good thing that we're seeing there. Well, that, that idea there, again, that, that quote was a good example that, that students actually want some accountability. Mm-hmm. But not all of them, but most of them, and they're, but they're not going to admit to it, and they want that task-oriented focus in there so that they, they know that, hey, that teacher believes in me enough, and they're going to hold me accountable because they know that I can do this. They don't want just free time all the time. They don't want just really easy tasks all the time. They want somebody to believe in them and challenge them and hold them accountable to do that kind of stuff. So that, that was really exciting to see as one of the student quotes. Yeah. Yeah, there's another one in there that's kind of similar that they say that she tells us what she needs or what we need, what we're going over that day and what we're going to do in the future to get that done. Mm-hmm. And so like being clear with the tasks and those two kind of tie together, really, um, but being clear with what are the tasks and what are the expectations, which I, I think kind of ties to that next one. Uh, so our fifth theme is that use of student opportunity to learn criteria material. And so that is a really fancy way to say the students show you what they learn and the students have a chance to show you uh, what they learned and what they're doing. You know, cer- certainly that um, that's an important opportunity for students to be engaged in and be able to um, uh, just have material and have examples of, of how they can demonstrate that for teachers. And so I think that's an important piece and element along with um, kind of the, the, the last one that you really talked about was uh, teachers facing challenges and engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this one was the bonus theme. So this didn't come from Rosenshine at first, but we had to pull this out and had to talk about it. Now, remember, this is coming off of the hills of COVID, right? And so in 2001, we know that our students are different than they were in 2019. Um, But they talked about some really interesting things here. Um, This quote that over the last 10 years of teaching, that's probably been the biggest challenge to try to keep them engaged and try to get them motivated. And I don't have the answers to that, and I'm still trying to figure out how to motivate kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I talk to teachers all the time that have this, that, that kids are different these days, and they, they aren't motivated to learn, or different things motivate them. And I, I don't know what the answers are, but these teachers are bringing up the questions and asking those. Mm-hmm. Very cool, very cool. So when we when we put all of this together. And so we saw some overlap amongst all these themes. So what, what's, what's that mean for teachers out in the field today when we look at this work and, and think about it in their day-to-day practice? Yeah. So I think it's to take all six of these themes and try to work on them all at once, right? <laughs> we know that works. <laughs> okay. I'm glad, I'm glad that we could see that that was dosed heavily with sarcasm, right? Think about which one of these you need to get better at. Is your enthusiasm dripping because you're listening to this and it's three quarters of the way through the school year? Then 
what can you do to show enthusiasm? Is it, it maybe you haven't, maybe you've just been teaching at the students a lot for the last couple of weeks and you've been drilling and killing with review. Give them a chance to show you what they know and, and focus on that one. Maybe it's, you really need to work on clarity and you've explained the things a couple of times to students and you've turned around and you've, you've gotten that look on their face like, what, what are they talking about? What is this? It, if you see that face, then work on that one. So pick one of these to work on getting better. And I, I think all five that we talked about in the beginning will help with six. But then if you, I think the other kind of takeaway and what do we do with this is if you see things going on with engagement and you, you're having a hard time with this, just know that you're not alone in this, that other teachers are experiencing that. And I, I don't have the magic bullet to fix that and how to engage all students. These five things are going to be a good start to that. And then just just keep working at it because those are good students and they need they need your help. They need your support. And they need school based agricultural education There's something good in there for them. Continuous improvement. Absolutely. Well, Trey, thank you so much for sharing this work. It is um, these these characteristics of, a, of, an, of an effective teacher are always great to go through. And it's good to see how. Um, those things that people may say, hey, they've been around for a long time. Surely there's something new's got to be out. Just really still still hold true um, that's out there and things for all of us throughout our teaching careers to be reminded of. So again, thank you so much for the work that you that you did and for sharing that with us today on Owl Pellets. Yeah, thank you all so much for the work you do. It's so cool to, to see this work getting out to agriculture teachers and having these great conversations. Well, let's keep the conversation going, folks. As you see things out there on social media, please post your thoughts, comments, and reach out to to us and to Trey with your thoughts and further ideas for more research and how we can be assisting you in the classrooms as you do the great work that you do every day in our school-based ag ed classroom. So for Mike and Becky, this is Brian. Thanks for being with us here today on Owl Pellets. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.